Hello, and welcome to episode number 26 of Making Media Now, the Filmmakers Collaborative Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Acevedo. Joining me on this episode is Michaela Malazzi, the four-time Emmy Award-winning host and executive producer of Bare Feet with Michaela Malazzi, a travel series highlighting the diversity of dance, which airs on PBS stations nationwide and on Amazon Prime globally. A professional dancer and trained musician, Michaela decided to start a journey around the world, taking her camera with her to follow dance in the lives of everyday people wherever she went. From rediscovering her family's heritage in southern Italy to dancing tango on the main stage in Buenos Aires, the series covers Michaela's adventures as she experiences the world one dance at a time. It's just I didn't want those kids to stop dancing. Yeah. If they close this club, that's it. Yeah. It's beautiful Go here. Faster. This is the place when they can spend time together. Like Serbian people, of course, welcome anybody. Mm-hmm. But it's Serbian club. They speak in Serbian language. They listen to Serbian music. They learn how to dance Serbian steps, you know. And this is a whole idea. And this is like, we got practice two hours. Mm-hmm. Two hours, we don't want to speak English. We, we want to use our language. She's been featured in the New York Times, Oprah Magazine, Condé Nast Traveler, Dance Magazine, and Forbes. She's also performed on various television shows, including Sesame Street and The Dr. Oz Show. Making Media Now is sponsored by Filmmakers Collaborative, a nonprofit organization dedicated to supporting media makers from across the creative spectrum. From providing fiscal sponsorship, to presenting an array of informative and educational programs, Filmmakers Collaborative supports creatives at every step in their journey. To learn more, visit filmmakerscollab.org. And if you're enjoying this podcast, please subscribe and leave a review. And now on to my conversation with Michaela Malazzi. Joining me now on Making Media Now is Michaela Malazzi, the host of Bare Feet with Michaela Malazzi. Welcome. Hi, Michael. Thanks for having me. It is great to uh, be chatting with you. We're particularly happy to have you join us because uh, if you're not the most recent, you're among the most recent uh, Filmmakers Collaborative members. So a big welcome from the Filmmakers Collaborative community where we couldn't be more happy to, uh, to have you. Thank you so much. And I'm really honored to be part of part of the family and part of the whole community. It's been wonderful so far. And it's like you said, it just recently happened. So thank you again. Sure thing. So in uh, preparing to chat with you, uh, I had the pleasure of diving into, um, you know, as many of your of your episodes that didn't make me cringe with jealousy. I'll be I'll be upfront about that. Particularly, I was watching a bunch of them a couple of days ago. I'm talking to you uh, in um, mid to late April right now, and it happens to be a beautiful day in New England right now. Uh, but the day I was watching your 
episodes, it was about 45 degrees with driving snow, which was about 48 hours ago. And I'm seeing you in Italy and I'm seeing you in Buenos Aires and I'm seeing you in all of these warm, exotic, wonderful locations. So as I was kind of holding a grudge. <laughs> I am too. I'm like holding a grudge towards myself sometimes. Yeah. Oddly enough, since we can't travel right now due to COVID too. Right. So it's, it's been a, a wonderful way to like revisit these beautiful places. So for, for our listeners who are not familiar with the concept of your series, uh, give us, uh, give us the thumbnail. Yeah. So bare feet, I travel and dance around the world. So in every destination, I learn the dance and music from that place. I like to say I make new friends by dancing with strangers and, um, I, I feel like it's the best way to travel. There's this immediate connection that happens through the universal language of dance and music. And what you see is real. It's, you know, um, there's no rehearsal. The people that I'm meeting, I, I get very emotional in a lot of episodes. Um, and I like to show that about what travel can do. It's very transformative. It's not always pretty. There are moments in, in my episodes where I'm getting sick off the side of a boat while I'm fishing in the Cook Islands and I'm, I'm messing up dances and I fall flat on my butt. And, and it's, it's not about learning these dances and becoming a professional tango dancer, professional K-pop star, but it's the interactions and the magical moments that happen and the stories I pull from the people by learning their dances as part of their culture. Yeah. And what comes across is there's such a, a pride. Uh, in the people that you engage with. There's such an authenticity and an open-heartedness and a pride in sharing the stories of their culture, uh, the stories behind the dance and, and what that is an expression of. And um, has that openness to new experience and new people, has, does that come naturally to you? I think so. I think I talk about this a lot because... I genuinely care about these dances that these people hold so dear and that are precious to them. Um, if I didn't care so much, I think they wouldn't feel so comfortable enough to share them with me. And I'm like a kid in a candy store. When I see dances and I see people dancing, I have to jump in with them, whether the cameras are there or not. That's where the premise of the show came from. It wasn't, I was thinking, okay, what's this, what's a gimmick or what's a niche I can fall into to create a travel show. It was rather, this is how I traveled for fun. I would travel. And when I couldn't speak the local language, I would jump in and dance with people in local festivals and holidays and celebrations and street fairs. And I found these magical moments of, of immediately connecting with people. And I thought, wow, there's something really special here. And because they see, and, and you see it when you watch my show, like I have a smile of on my face the entire time, but I'm like concentrating so hard and really connecting with these folks and I think they see how much I'm interested in and, and really engaged with them. And I'm picking up just enough. Like I have enough in, of a dance vocabulary in my body and enough rhythm that it makes them feel comfortable enough to keep giving me more. And so that is that, that my sort of special power, my superpower of having the ability to communicate through dance enough that they feel comfortable with me enough to share more. And then they share what it 
a deeper side of it. Like, why do they love doing these dances? Where does it come from? How has it been passed down for so long? And what does it truly represent to them versus just a performance? Because I don't go around these places and just watch people dance. The whole point of the show is to be immersive and, and really touch and hug and sweat with it. It's very, um, it's, it's a very intimate act respectfully, but, um, I think that's where it, it gets really special is that we're sharing this together and they, they feel comfortable with me. I feel like, um, yeah, that's sort of my, my superpower is letting people yeah, feel comfortable. <laughs> your genuine interest in, in the craft, in the art mm-hmm. definitely comes across. And, mm-hmm. and what's, what I think is so endearing is that your game, even if it's a, a, a dance that perhaps doesn't come as fluidly to you as another dance might. Oh, I'm always game. I'm always game. And in my head, I'm always like, this might be the dance that I can't get. And luckily that hasn't happened. It's, it's never perfect, but I, I can always sort of grasp it just enough where they're slightly impressed, but we're still having a good time. (laughs) Like we're, you know, it's just enough to get by, but yeah, I, I genuinely love doing this. I mean, I'm not an actress. I'm actually a terrible actress. So, um, this is why the show works. Like, I I don't think I could do another type of show. I wouldn't be doing TV. I'd be doing something else. Yeah. And the, and I, and I think one of the things that is, that really makes the show work is that this isn't a scenario. There are a lot of times, and you alluded to this a little, little while ago, uh, particularly in travel shows, there's the host who actually is standing in for the viewer. Like the host is from the outside talking to these people on the inside. It's almost like there's a barrier between mm-hmm. them that yours is completely immersive, but it's not an immersive with like a, you know, a wink to the camera. It's uh, it, it's with your willingness to kind of be vulnerable and share this love of dance, regardless of where you are. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. It's, it's interesting because I don't have a hosting background. I don't have any TV production background. And I think that was almost to my advantage of not learning how to be this um, detached host, right? right? The only way I know how to interact with people is to really jump in with them and just like get in there. And that's what from fans, from messages from fans and and people, that's what really draws them to the show is they feel like they know me, but they also feel like they're having that experience with me versus, versus this, like you said, a very detached Mm -hmm. uh, experience. And so, um, I feel honored. How did the, how did this come to be a television show? Uh, if, um, I remember correctly, it actually started as a blog. Yeah. So it kind of had this roundabout way. So I, I was a full-time, I used to work in the entertainment uh, music industry for years. What, and before what that, capacity? I, I worked in management um, okay. and I used to work for metal bands actually. So <laughs> this is a story. Yeah. I, this is like a whole other life. Um, but leading up to that, I, I went to school for music. I also danced my whole entire life. So when I went to university, I decided to go for music composition at at NYU, eventually graduated and and decided to go into the music industry, wanted to be a a big time music manager. That was like my ultimate goal. Started working for a firm, loved it. Absolutely loved it. It was like the best training in life to, to be a, a perpetual problem solver. Um, 
but part of the job was also babysitting adults. And I didn't like that part of the job. Yeah. I would imagine that was a big part of the job, a huge part of the job. Um, but I also really love like the business side of it. Cause we worked in every aspect, promotion, marketing, merchandising, working with a record label, working every aspect of the industry. Um, and I, and I learned so much from my old boss. He's an, a mentor of mine. Um, but I just got burnt out and left the music industry and then found dance again in my life and started dancing and then started teaching dance and then became a, a dance teacher and a performer in New York city, like sort of made this 180 jump of I'm going to go back into dance. And when I would travel for fun, cause then I would start using dance as a, as a means of traveling. So I would teach abroad in the summers and then kind of bop around from that. And I was teaching and, and, and kept finding that dance was this universal language. Like I said, of when I couldn't speak the local language, I would make these immediate connections and it wasn't just through dance. So let's say I was dancing with someone, but then I would be invited to their brother's wedding the next day. So we're in Mumbai, India and we're salsa dancing and then we're invited to a wedding. Right. So, or in Uzbekistan, we're invited into the, the, our, this person that we met his mother's home to eat a meal. So it wasn't just let's dance. It was these friendships and these other doors that open through dance as like yeah. the, the, the key that opened that door. And then back in 2010, I was still a full-time dance teacher. I had this aha moment. I literally woke myself up in the middle of the night, shot up and saw like a projection out of my eyeballs of what bare feet is today of this show of me traveling the world and dancing and dressing in costume and having a crew with me. And I was like, I'm going to make a TV show where I travel and dance around the world. And that was the moment. And then I was like, okay, I need to figure this out. Um, so I fast forward, like was pitching this. And, and because I worked in music, I also had friends who worked in TV. Okay. So I said to them, I was like, Hey, I have this idea for a show. What do you think? And they're like, let's, you know, I have, I have a friend who's an executive or a TV producer. You should pitch to them. And it would, I would always pitch to them and they would say, this is an interesting idea, but you're not going to be the host. You just don't fit the bill. We're going to have to hire a model or an actress. And number two, um, you'll be lucky if you get creator credit. And good luck. And I kept getting the same That's answer. Encouraging. Yeah. Well, I mean, it was realistic to be honest. Sure. Yeah. And I just kept getting the same answer over and over and over again. And I thought, well, screw that. I'm not doing this to give to someone else. Let me hire some friends. Cause I went to NYU. So friends of mine were in the film school. We hired friends to go back to my family's hometown. I come from a family of immigrants and we stayed in my grandmother's farm town farmhouse in Southern Italy. And we celebrated this wheat harvest festival. That's our pilot episode. Spent my life savings, like hired a crew show up there. We film it. Like I had no idea what I was doing. Never been on camera. Um, come back, put together a sizzle reel, started pitching it, got signed to a third party production company. They're like, we have a great relationship with travel channel. This was back when travel channel used to air travel content. Right. Right. Um, and two weeks after I signed a year's exclusive shopping agreement, which was a red flag right there. You should only sign what 30 to 90 days max. We find out travel channel signed an identical show called dance around the world. So this third party production company was like, well, our hands are, you know, like we can't do anything with this. And I was like, well, let's pitch it to someone else. And like, nope, sorry, we can't pitch it to anyone. So I said, can I have my footage back? And they're like, well, you can wait your year's agreement out, which had only started two weeks ago. Oh, wow. 
or you can pay us $30,000 and they buy back your own footage to buy back my own footage. So I waited a year. And in that year I was like, I'm not doing this to be on TV. I'm doing this to tell stories of dance and music. So I started a blog and that really built my skills of storytelling through dance. And where did the blog live? At travelbarefeet.com, our website. And I, I lived in the East village at the time in New York city. And so every night I would go out to live music events and dance classes every single night. And I would write about it and write about the experience and the interactions I was having and the emotions I was feeling. And so it really helped me build that storytelling skill that I didn't have. I got my footage back eventually and realized I had to hire an editor and we created these like short little YouTube videos. And I started building this small following and then eventually started shooting more videos by myself. And now today we're on public television. We're working on season five. I have four Emmy awards. We're on Amazon prime globally. Um, we're on, it's amazing. Yeah, we're on it's PBS. a phenomenal success and it, it's, yeah. it's a, it's a fantastic story. Uh, it's kind of your education uh, as an entrepreneur mm-hmm. and, and as a creator. Mm-hmm. Um, so when you were going to, your show is distributed through American public, uh, television, correct? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, how did that relationship come relationship come about and what, what was important for you to learn about how distribution operated? Yeah. So it's funny you say that because I never understood, and I think a lot of people still in the TV industry don't understand that public television is not like any other network. Right. PBS. Viewers don't know that. Viewers don't know it, especially, but people in the industry don't know it. So when I tell other friends that work at networks or, you know, streamers and and SVODs, they're like, wait, what? Because I'm an independent producer and the brought to you in part by the Viking river cruises or the foundations. Um, that's what helps produce pay to produce the show and distribute the show because public television is owned by the people of the United States. So you're technically air- paying for airtime p- for distribution. So I have to pay APT American public television to distribute my show. But once it's in the system, all the PBS member stations, all the public television stations can air my show. I'm basically paying them to license my show for a certain number of time. And then they can air it as many times as they like. Um, You know, it's, it's sort of a backwards uh, system, but in a way it's amazing because I have complete creative control over my show. I got to make the show that no one thought I should make. (laughs) Right. Um, And there, there is a vetting process through public television, obviously. So it has to be educational, informational and entertaining programming. There has to be some sort of standard of production. Um, It has to be accepted by a majority of the PBS member stations through APT. So it's a long process. It's not just like you can make a show and just pay and it gets on there. However, um, I get to make my show. I don't have an executive telling me, you know what, Michaela, we need more drama here, or well, you need to show a little more skin here, or there has to be some conflict here. No, there's none of that. I get to call all the shots. Granted, we can't show people smoking on camera, rightfully so. Uh, we can't have influence from our sponsors. So you would never, let's say, for example, Coca-Cola 
was our sponsor, which they're not, but if they were, Mm -hmm. and I'm sitting there drinking a can of Coke, that would be a big no, no. So you can't have any brand integration. There can't be any perception that, uh, your sponsors have any say on the content, which makes our content clean. And that is why public television and PBS is the most trusted media platform in the United States, which I'm very proud of being part of that family because, Right now, that is to to have your viewers trust is the highest form of currency, I think. Absolutely. Yeah. What what, what is your what's your carriage on PBS and what's your sense of how many stations are carrying the ninety six percent of the U.S. market airs bare feet. Wow. Yeah. And, and, and is, is there relative uniformity as to when they're airing it and how many times? Well, so for example. Like our show also airs on Create TV, which is a mm-hmm. secondary uh, public television station. And that is uniform airings. So, you know, when we're airing, when I say we air on PBS member stations, that could mean we're airing on WNAT, which is Channel 13 in New York, maybe yep. Saturday mornings at 7 a.m. starting in September. But um, the SoCal PBS or LA PBS is airing us on Thursday nights at 7 p.m. starting in October. So it's this very fractured, fragmented and fractured system. So when you go to sponsors, it's really hard to say, Oh, we're on every Tuesday night at nine. No, we can't say that. Right. But at the same time, a challenge, a huge challenge, a huge challenge. But at the same time, the trust that is inherent in the PBS brand, just being on PBS is huge. Right. Um, So it's, it's this catch 22. You don't go into public television to make money. (laughs) Nobody I know except Rick Steves, but Rick Steves doesn't even make money from his show. He makes it from his tours from all the ancillary. Yeah. Yeah. So, and that's how most, yeah, it's a brand. And, and really that's how most of the hosts and producers, if you think about all the cooks and chefs on public television, they have, cooking, you know, cookbooks and other things and and other travelers have tours. And so you're really using public television almost as a marketing tool for your brand. Right. Um, how, how has the, uh, the look and feel of the show evolved as you became uh, a little bit more savvy around things like, you know, post-production even right. uh, and, and plotting out the, the show season to season? Yeah. So we've become a lot more efficient, um, with filming of like filming exactly only what we need, you know, Mm -hmm. not really filming extra content. And are you Um, using, are you using local crews in the places you're traveling with crew? Yeah. I travel with crew because, um, we're filming a very specific thing. Right. Um, we're filming dance and we're filming these moments where, I am so in sync with my crew now um, that they can tell when there's this like magical moment that's happening. You know, I don't have to say like, Hey, you guys, there's like, this is amazing. Like they can see we have this, we're communicating with each other. If I'm working with someone that I don't know, or doesn't speak the language very well, um, that's really difficult to do. And also, like I said, I'm not a trained host, now I feel 11 years later, I feel much more confident, but I still would feel much more confident with people who understand how I work versus just working with a new crew every single time. So 
when we travel internationally, it is much more expensive, but we do get local support from the tourism board. So we usually get hosted by our local um, DMOs. So they put us up in a hotel because for them, it's a, it's a half hour advertisement for their destination. Right. 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 Sure. You're going into season four or, or five. You're going into season five mm-hmm. and season uh, four, which was the season that was uh, just New York exclusive. That was season two. Okay. Yeah. And we're actually doing that again for season five. So because of COVID, well, our season four was only a two-part special. It was a truncated season because of COVID. That we was luckily, the one in the, uh, the Guadalupe Island. Guadalupe Islands. We right. luckily filmed pre-COVID um, and we were able to really extract these beautiful stories that we made it into a two-part special. And I realized also by doing that, we were able to dig deeper into the stories because usually we have to truncate that into half of the amount of time. Um, and then for season five, you know, we don't know when we're going to be able to film internationally again. There are shows that are filming internationally, but our show is, again, we're not showing spas or hotels or best restaurants to go to. We're showing dance. I have to touch people. I have to hug people. I have yeah, and to it's typically dance within large gatherings, large gatherings, big celebrations. And most of these celebrations have been canceled. Right. So it's even out of our hands. So we thought we were already thinking of doing another season of bare feet in NYC. And we started revisiting that idea about a month ago because the city has put a lot of money into these arts initiatives for the recovery of New York. Mm -hmm. And I revisited the original treatment that I did for bare feet in NYC and other season before COVID hit. And I thought, what if we approach this same way, same stories, but with the idea of New York's on the, on the mend and let's see how the arts are essential to a community. Right. especially at a time like this. And what's amazing is we haven't had to change what bare feet is about. Bare feet has always been about highlighting entrepreneurs, highlighting small businesses and highlighting the arts as an essential part of a community. It just is more amplified now and more pertinent because now we're seeing what happens when the arts have been taken away or when theaters are shut down or when we can't go into a dance studio, people are drawn to these stories. Naturally, they want them. They want to be able to move and dance. I mean, look at during COVID, we're still in the thick of it, but all these dance parties on Instagram, these DJs started playing because people needed to feel that connection through dance and music. Debbie Allen started doing free dance classes over Instagram. I mean, there was just this huge movement of let's get people up and moving. Let's people get up and connected through dance and music. And I think I feel very lucky that our our message of bare feet, it's not going to change. It's just going to sort of be amplified even more. This is why the arts are essential in a community aside from infrastructure and, you know, how do you maintain and how have you been maintaining a relationship with your viewers when you're not on the air? Yeah. Well, luckily we've been on the air a lot. It's been amazing. Uh, Since COVID viewership on PBS has gone up by 20%. Our season three came out right when COVID hit. So it kind of hit at a really not a viewers didn't even, they weren't even clued into. There was a, a, a lag as far as they were concerned. There's new fresh content. You're going. There was new fresh content. Luckily we also had those two new episodes, but what I did was because I wasn't creating new content. I wasn't able to film. Um, Back last April, so a month after the lockdown first hit, um, I thought, 
how can we stay connected through dance and music? Our mission is to stay connected with the world through dance and music. Right. And I thought, well, we have the technology, right? We have access to people. So I did for an entire year, I just finished them because now we're working on bare feet season five. But for an entire year, every single week, it was called the Bare Feet Live series. I would connect with a dancer from around the world. I'd do a short interview with them and we, they would teach me part of their culture through dance. And it was an interactive session so that all my viewers could learn dance. So we learned flamenco in Spain. We learned Irish Shanos dance in Killarney, Ireland. We learned uh, samba in Rio de Janeiro. And it was just the two of us on screen, but it was on streamed out on uh, Facebook live, YouTube live, and we were doing them on Instagram as well. So our, our viewers could interact with us. And we had people come every single week and it was a way for them to feel connected. It was a way for them to, to get up and move because we were so isolated and felt like we were sedentary and just staring at screens. <laughs> right. um, and we did it for a year, exactly a year. And I think two weeks ago was our last one. And I, I had a huge announcement and I was like, look, I know this is a really sad day. We can't do bare feet live anymore, but the good news is we're now working towards a new season. We're going back to what we originally have always meant to do this. Our bare feet live series was only meant to be a temporary relief. Right. Right. Yeah. And, and they're still up. So if anybody wants to do, we've done 52 or 53 sessions where Soka, yeah. And we've never repeated a style and it's just amazing to me that we were able to travel the world virtually, virtually. and using dance and music. And it yeah. was like nothing about our content. We didn't change anything about our mission of our content, but we were able to adapt and pivot. You know, that's our magical word for <laughs> COVID. Yeah. We were able to pivot during this time and still stay connected with our viewers, still stay connected with our mission. And it was a wonderful and beautiful experience. I really loved it. And, and what brought you to Filmmakers Collaborative? So I, it's interesting. I, um, I always get calls and emails from people saying, Michaela, I want to do what you did. How did you start a TV show? Can you help me? I get a lot of those. But I also, I, can, I love to see when people are, are, are super inspired, but also driven. And I see a little bit of myself in them. And once a year, we would have this thing called APT Fall Marketplace, American Public Television Fall Marketplace. It's like the annual conference where all the programmers get together. A lot of producers get together. And as an independent producer, you're sort of on a, a little island all by yourself trying to figure out how do I fund my show? How do I produce my show? How do I get it distributed? Because every person has a different journey. There's no like straight path. Everyone does it differently. Sure. And every time I would go to these fall marketplaces, I would see other producers and we'd only see each other once a year. And it was like, Hey, what's working for you? What worked for you? And we would kind of have these little powwows and brainstorms and amazing ideas would come up and then we'd leave. And then we kind of lost each other. And then we'd come back a year later. And I thought, how do we capture that? Let's create an association. Well, I never had time to create an association because I was working on my show, I was filming and then COVID hit. And I was like, I have time because I'm not filming any TV shows. So I started this thing called the Independent Producers Association for Public Television. If you go to ipapublicmedia.com, 
And IPA publicmedia.com is a free website where it's, it's basically a, a guideline of how to produce fund distribute your show through public television, because public television needs young, diverse voices, different voices besides the ones that you always see on television. And because it's such a, a strange system and you kind of really have to navigate it in such a strange way, I thought, let's make it more accessible because if there are other independent storytellers that might fit in this distribution way, yeah, let's have it. Let's what have a, them have a chance. What a great resource. So, so I did that and I was hosting weekly webinars and I was looking, cause I have, I would use fiscal sponsorship as well. And I reached out, I was actually recommended the filmmakers collaborative through APT through Hillary uh, Buxton. And so I was connected with Laura Azevedo and she did a, a webinar about fiscal sponsorship and filmmakers collaborative and the resources that you guys have. And it was unbelievable. And we've gotten so much great feedback, but we've done that for how to distribute the show distribution. What is that? The different platforms of distribution. So I would get people in those fields to give me an hour of their time where I would host a webinar and have live Q and a, and we record it. And all that information is up on the website. And so when Laura um, hosted that with me, I learned so much. And that was the thing about this IPA is like, I was learning as I was doing this too, because I'm never saying I'm the expert in how to do this. I just like to share, this was my experience. How can we make this easy for everybody who's trying to do this, including veteran producers? I mean, I'm getting veteran producers, like producers on PBS who've been on air for 20 years who are like, I've never heard of fiscal sponsorship. And I'm like, you are a huge name on PBS. How did you not know this? You know, so everyone's there to learn. So I met Laura and we did the IPA webinar. And then when we decided to start doing our new season, I thought, you know what, let me reach back out. And I want to see if we can do um, a crowdfunding campaign through Filmmakers Collaborative as a, as a fiscal sponsor, because I always felt apprehensive about doing uh, crowdfunding because through Kickstarter, through Indiegogo, you feel like you have to create swag. You have to give them a, a, there has to be like a a benchmark. And I didn't want to have to come up with things to print that would eventually end up in a landfill. Like I'm very conscious about that. Yep. And I also believe if people are going to give us money, why don't they give money that would go directly towards making the project versus having to create other items? Right. So I revisited with Laura and I was like, oh, this is amazing. They get a tax, 100% tax deduction. They can give as little or as much as they want. And they know it's going directly towards making this project a reality and making it come to fruition. And And this is through FC's relationship with Network for Good. Yes. Yes. And the beautiful thing is I really wasn't thinking about doing it, but the more I told people, Hey, I think we're going to start working on a new season of bare feet and it's going to be documenting the recovery of New York city through the arts. The immediate reaction from everyone was, how can I help? How can I help? This is amazing. How can I help? And I was like, I don't know. And I kept getting that same reaction. One friend of mine was, was saying, you have to start a crowdfunding campaign. People now feel so helpless give them something to feel good about. And I was like, I think you're right. 
I think right. you're right. And mm-hmm. so that's how that really started. So I have to give a shout out to my friend, Adrian Knoll. She was the one who said, girl, you have to, people want to help right now. And it's been beautiful. And we also actually, you know, if you can't help monetarily, we totally understand. Um, and we've also been asking our viewers, like if there's a, a dance group or a place we should feature, let us know. And we've gotten hundreds of submissions in the past two weeks. No, that's great. It's amazing. And, Mm -hmm. and what's beautiful is to see, I don't know these people that are writing me and the messages that they're just saying of how bare feet has helped them through the pandemic, our live series of them being able to travel remotely through our TV show while we can't travel. It's been a really emotional journey, just seeing how much of an impact our show has had through this whole time. Uh, virtual learning. I've, I'm speaking to classes all the time. I just spoke to about 206 graders a couple of weeks ago and it was, I was in tears. I was just like, this is, this is amazing. This is why I do what I do because we are making, we are creating global citizens. We're creating curious travelers who want to dance. We're creating curious travelers who want to learn about other cultures. And I think that's really important. That's fantastic. And, you know, you you, uh, mentioned about producers who have been, you know, producing for 20 something years and they weren't aware of some of these options. And I I think that, you know, you really hit the nail on the head in so far as that entrepreneurial drive that you have is so necessary these days to avail yourself of these different means of funding and distribution mm-hmm. and you know these various platforms and i think you know if you've been in the trenches for decades it's easy to sort of be almost intimidated by that process as opposed to looking at it in terms of well how can we make this work to cast a a wider net I I think you're right. It's interesting because when I first started going to APT Fall Marketplace years ago, I'll be honest, there was a different mood between the producers. I think it was very competitive. I think producers saw each other as, well, I'm competing for airtime, right? Because all all the programmers I'm meeting here, I'm trying to be on their program schedule. Right. And instead it's, we are here to help each other because I'm not competing with you. At some point that programmer is going to need all of our programs to fill their schedule. And through years of, of shifting that mindset of we're here to support each other versus I'm here, I'm not here to take your airtime away from you really has changed the mindset from older, more um, established producers and hosts who are now more comfortable to be mentors to the newer generation of hosts and and storytellers, which is what we need. Also vice versa of helping them with ideas for social media, ideas with distribution. I mean, you know, not everybody has to be on TikTok, but at the same time, like, let's talk about what that digital distribution could look like. What, what does that look like if you're building a relationship with an underwriter to offer them digital content that lives online that you can't air on broadcast, right? So you can do sort of these ideas of, Things have been done in a certain way for so long, but the 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 distribution landscape is changing so rapidly, so rapidly. And the way viewers engage the way, you know, there's there's many instances now where somebody is going to discover you on a platform other than broadcast television. And they realize, oh, this is amazing. This woman also has a TV show (laughs) as opposed to coming in through the TV show and then finding the website and the social media 
channels. Exactly. I've, I've gotten a lot of new viewers through my lives. And when I told them that bare feet live was done, they thought that was the show. And they're like, Oh no, it's canceled. And I was like, no, no, no. We're going back to what bare feet is, you know, of the TV show. And so what's amazing is to see, okay, how can we sort of do a hybrid? I don't want to stop. I can't do the weekly lives. It's a lot of work, right? but there is so much value in that engagement with our, 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 um, live sessions. So it's like, let's do maybe a monthly live or while we're filming, do these live updates on location to our fans because they love that behind the scenes, they get to know me as a person. Um, they get to see the magic behind making the show. I think being very vulnerable Mm -hmm. again, just like in our show, I think that's what people really love on social media is you can put up a really pretty picture, but if in your post, you tell the backstory behind what it took to get that picture, that's where you get people engaged. Right. So it's really giving that transparency and vulnerability, but at the same time, that is sometimes exhausting as a, as a content creator, where you feel like, how much do I want to share? I'm sort of having that existential crisis kind of like right now, as we speak of like, how much do I want to share? How much energy do I really want to put out there? Because there's a lot that goes you're, into that. Oh gosh, there's a lot. And particularly if you're, you know, in each venue requires a little bit of a different nuance, mm -hmm. you know, the way you're going to engage through a Facebook live is different than obviously your, uh, packaged and cut uh, television program, which is different than your podcast, which right. is different from every other venue. So yeah, I would imagine that that can be quite draining. Yeah. But it's, it, I, I, I'm so grateful that I have access to the fan base by using social media, but I think it's also taking a step back and, and thinking what is a healthy balance, right? What is a healthy balance so I don't hit burnout. So my team doesn't hit burnout so that I still enjoy the work that I do. Um, I'm almost like preparing myself for that moment because I, it went from zero to a hundred in the past month. I'm sure you feel it. There's a new energy in the air because of the vaccine rollout. Most definitely. Yeah. yeah. So mm -hmm. things have shifted immensely and it's like, okay, we've been in the place for the past year where we've had to be static. Mm -hmm. And what is a sustainable way of, it can't be the way it was, right? We all know that. Um, but how can it be sustainable moving forward, but still giving what I want to give and still being able to tell the stories I want to tell and still being as, as transparent, but private, you know, it's this really strange, um, position to be in. How, uh, how complete is your planning for season five? Like if, if you were to get the green light tomorrow, do you know what the episodes would be? Yeah. So we are, <laughs> we have, the episodes are pretty much laid out. We have 13 episodes. We are waiting for a potential. We have a few funders that are like, I have a couple phone calls today. So everybody light your candles and put out that good juju. <laughs> but yeah, it really is. I want to be, I like to be transparent about this process with everyone. If we don't get the funding for this new season, it's not happening mm -hmm. because every other season that I've done, I have fronted a majority of the funding and, and financially put myself in very dangerous 
positions. Sure. Um, and I just can't do that anymore. And I also feel like, I feel like I've paid my dues Right. that at this point with the accolades we have, with the press that we've received, with the amount of response from our fans, I think our show shouldn't have to be in a position where it's detrimental to the production. Sure. And so that's where we are. And I'm okay with that. I'm okay with that because this is a really special season. I, I can see it already happening. So I know it's going to happen because everything else that I've envisioned has happened. I know that sounds really strange, but, um, no, it's, it, it's, it's inspirational. Oh, thanks. But, no, it, it really is because, you know, you, as you say, you had this vision that came to you at night and it yeah. tapped into something that, you know, had was innate in you, uh, anyhow. And, you know, you, you said something, I think, uh, very enlightening where when you don't know what you don't know, there, there's something freeing about that, you know, because you, I think a lot of people can get paralyzed by, oh, I could never pitch a show. I've, Mm -hmm. I I can't be in the same room with an executive. Mm -hmm. I don't have, you know, the right pedigree or the right connections. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was, uh, I, it was ignorance. I mean, that was my, that was my selling point was like, I could hear no all day long and it didn't matter to me. I mean, it really was this dumb ignorance, not knowing any better. I was also 11 years younger, so I had the energy. (laughs) I still have the energy, but I think if I had to start now, I really don't know how I would do it. Um, But it's most definitely a a success story. Thank you. Uh, You know, going into season five and having grown your your viewership and just your overall uh, network and community of supporters and fans. It's, and, um, uh, speaking for FC where we couldn't be happier to have you as part of the part of the family. Thank you. Thank so, you. But, it's been wonderful. Before I let you say goodbye, just remind all of our, our, our listeners where they can find, uh, all information regarding, you know, w- what's in the can, what's coming up and any other sort of ancillary events. Yeah. So if you go to travelbarefeet.com, you can find all of our 40 episodes that we put out. So that's four seasons, um, starting from our very first episode in my family's hometown. You visit my grandmother, Nonna Pina, to celebrating uh, Carnival in the Guadalupe Islands and everything in between. And we're on the PBS app and pbs.org for free. We always make our shows available for free so that if you are doing virtual learning, if you're a teacher or anyone at home, you can watch us. We're also on Amazon Prime and we are actually bringing back our bare feet tours. So the idea is um, I shouldn't be the only lucky one who gets to travel and dance around the world. So I am starting up again because we've done a few in the past, um, but we're partnering with AAA Travel and our first tours are going to Ireland, which is one of my favorite countries in the world. Oh, wow. Our first trip is this October, which we hope will run. Yeah. Um, and then next May as well. But if you go to travelbarefeet.com and also at travelbarefeet.com, if you want to help support our season five, go right ahead and you can make a 100% tax deductible donation through the Filmmakers Collaborative. Um, and if you have any ideas of any dance programs or people I should dance with, send us an email. We always take into consideration every single uh, recommendation and um, yeah, 
We're yeah, just... I will make sure that all of those uh, websites are in the program notes for the podcast. And it, you know, it, it's not sounding like me, like you're going to be getting that breather that you were just reading, <laughs> but <laughs> unless well, you sneak in a nap the this afternoon after those calls. Yeah. That's why I had to stop the lives. I was like, I need to, I need to focus all my energy on this. Um, and it's the next chapter and you know, the weather's getting better. I want people to dance outside. I don't want them stuck in their homes. I don't want to be stuck in, in my, <laughs> exactly. you know, my room. And it's, um, there's a new, there's a new energy that's coming through and we all should, should try and take advantage of it. Well, thank you so much for making the time to chat with us and continued good luck. Keep dancing, thank keep you. doing everything that you've been doing and, uh, we'll speak again soon. I hope. Thank you so much. 